invite you to open up your Bibles to Psalm 90. Psalm 90. And we're going to look at the only psalm ascribed to Moses. And it is an amazing psalm here that helps us to live wisely while we have time. Psalm 90, we're going to look at. I came across a a guy that um, moved from Rhode Island to California seeking gold. His name was William Burrow Schmidt. And most of you haven't heard of him. The only ones that have probably are the ones that were in the first service. The rest of you guys probably haven't heard of him. Um, He moved there into this desert part, and what he wanted to do is get gold. But he figured that the road was too hard to get the gold back and forth to the mountain, so he decided to build a tunnel. So listen to this. This guy with a pick, a hammer, and a shovel built a tunnel. And through granite. I mean, this is amazing. He's going through this mountain, and he's picking away, picking away. And years he's picking away. They said he went about two inches every day. And years go by, 10, 15 years. And all of a sudden, there's a road now that goes on the outside. Nothing to do with him. Somebody built a road that goes on the outside from where he needed to be to where he wanted to go. He made his tunnel useless. What does the guy do? That's why they call him William Burrow Schmidt. Named after his donkeys. He decides to keep on digging. And he just digs and digs for, for, for another 20, 30 years and finishes this thing when he's 67 years old. You say, what's so important about the tunnel? It was a useless tunnel that the guy himself didn't even use. And yet he spent his whole life Building a tunnel that was useless. And he knew in the middle of it, it was useless, and he kept on doing it. How many people are living lives that are useless? They're told it's useless, but they keep on doing it. And one day they're going to come back and look at their lives and say, for what? Psalm 90 is a powerful psalm. It breaks itself down into four beautiful stanzas. Verses 1 and 2, we're going to see how we could live wisely by understanding that God is our home. He's our eternal refuge. We're going to see in verses 3 to 6 how fragile we really are. We're going to see, Lord willing, in verses 7 to 11, how mad God is at sin. He hates sin. And then if we make it to verse 12 in two hours, we're going to look at some prayers. How we can pray to God and really ask God to do a work in our lives. But before we do that, why don't we just pray and ask the Lord to help us this morning as we go through this beautiful psalm. Let's let's pray. Our Father, we thank you so much for life, breath, and all things. We're thankful, God, that we have an opportunity to study your word, and we're free to do it here in this country. Thank you so much for that. God, help us, Lord, as we look at this psalm, to really gain a heart of wisdom. And help us, Lord, to really know what you want to say. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. We thank you so much for what you're going to do. Take these feeble words, we pray, and make an impact for eternity today. In Jesus' precious name, amen. 
Notice before verse 1 what it says. If you have your Bibles there, you'll notice that before the Psalms, it usually tells us who wrote the Psalm. And, and why they wrote it, sometimes it tells us. But it just tells us who. Notice before verse 1 it says, this is a prayer of who? Well, the only Psalm ascribed to Moses. This is one of the oldest Psalms in the Bible. And it's a song of Moses, a prayer of Moses, it says here. And they call him the man of God. Do you know why he's a man of God? Because he was a prophet. He was somebody who spoke for God. And he's a man of God. But let me tell you something that amazes me about Moses. He's a man who saw death. And a lot of it. Luke was sharing that in his country, they don't like the word death. They don't want to talk about the word death. Nobody likes to hear that word. Moses saw a lot of it in the wilderness. They, they didn't trust in God, and God said, okay, because you didn't trust in me, and you don't believe that I could bring you into the promised land, those that are, are 20 and above will die. Some say Moses saw 1.2 million deaths during the wilderness. That's a lot of tombs. That's a lot of death. Not only did he see them die, he saw his own sister die. That's hard. And then he saw his brother die. That's hard. And then Moses, what does he do? Instead of speaking to the rock, Moses hits the rock. And now he can no longer go into the promised land. So here's the backdrop of this psalm. Moses is seeing all this, this death around him. He, he makes a mistake before God. And he's wondering, what's the use? Why even live? Why go on? I mean, everything we do is just useless. People die around us. We live in a horrible world. He's seeing one person die after another after another, and he's just like, why do I even go on? And then he writes this beautiful psalm. He's going to tell us, yes, we go on, because verses 1 and 2, God is our home. He's going to tell us, and we're going to see in verses 3 to 6, that, like I said before, that we are fragile people. We are frail. But let's look at verses 1 and 2. Look how he starts it off. He says this. He says, Lord. I love that. When, when you study your Bibles, notice that when Lord is not capitalized, it's talking about Adonai. God, the master, the, the one that is in control. Lord, you are the master. He's not calling him Yahweh here. He's calling him Lord, the master. He says, Lord, you have been our what? Dwelling place. Beautiful term. It's used of an animal den where animals would hide from other animals because they were scared. And they would be protected. They would feel comfortable there. He's saying, Lord, in the midst of all the death around me, in the midst of all the people being fragile around me, God, you are my home. You are my comfort. You are my protector. I'm so glad they didn't tell us some of the things that happened to us during our Dominican Republic trip. They didn't tell us about the three flights that we were going to have to take to get there. It's not an easy way to get there. We took our three flights. We're exhausted. We show up. Boy, God blesses. God is amazing. We show up to the Dominican Republic, and what's there? A pizza place. Amen? <laughs> Not only a pizza place. Are you ready for this? An Italian New York pizza place. The slices were the size of my head. That's a pizza place. And so we're eating this pizza and we're drinking a Coke. We're thinking this can't get any better than this. We're, we're supposed to be suffering for the Lord. This is the best mission trip of my life. This is the best thing. Then they said, all right, everyone, get on the bus. 
Where are we going? We'll tell you when you get there. We get on this hot, sweaty bus. I'm dripping in sweat. It's like 10 o'clock at night. We show up to this camp. It looked like a concentration camp. There were barracks there. Like, we'll take you up to your room. We go into the room. There's cockroaches this size. They're humongous. It's hot. They got a little fan on the wall. What's the fan going to do? Nothing. You can't open up the windows because there's bugs outside. You don't want them to come in. I got the windows. I got a bed. It, it, it's a little bit of a, I don't even know what, it, it, can't even call it a cushion, whatever it was. You're laid on it. You're back on a rock. You're sitting there. The shower spit. The toilet had no toilet seat. Do you feel sorry for me yet? <laughs> Welcome to the Dominican Republic. I'm laying there dripping in sweat. One eye open, got a light on, waiting for a cockroach to crawl on me. Remembering the beautiful days of Argentina. <laughs> Where later, later Katie told me, you should be used to this because we lived in Argentina and we had roaches crawl on us and all that, but we won't go there. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, man, I just can't wait for this. I can't wait to get home. There is nothing like home. Beautiful bed, beautiful shower, no roaches. It, Colorado is beautiful. And my wonderful wife, you have it all here. I couldn't wait to get home. Here is Moses looking at death all around him, looking at people that he cares about die. And he says, God, you are my home. You are my comfort. You know how many times they moved around in the wilderness? Over 40 times. But yet in the midst of that, he's calling God his dwelling place. He's calling God his home. If we are going to live our lives wisely, we got to understand that this world is not our home. No matter how comfortable it may be, God is our home. He is our dwelling place. He is our refuge. He is our comfort. And he says this here, look at this. Not only that, in all generations. And so not only for me, but for my kids, my grandchildren, for those after me. In all generations, God is the resting place, the refuge, the protector. You say, how old is God? That's a great question. Kids like to ask that. How old is God? Well, not as old as Chalmer, but how old is God? How old is God? Look at this here in verse 2. Before the mountains were born. Anybody ever been to Colorado Springs when there was no mountains? Nobody, huh? It seems like they've been there forever. I got news for you. They haven't been there forever. And before they were there... God existed. In fact, look at this verse. Before the mountains were born, or you gave birth to the earth and the world, how is our God? He is from everlasting to what? Everlasting. We can't understand that. We don't, because we think of things in terms. This guy was born in 1974. He died in 2000 and whatever. This guy was born here. He died here. This lady was born here. We think of terms in that. God is outside of those terms. He is what the, what people called atemporal, outside of time. He is everlasting to everlasting. Amen. And guess what it says here? From everlasting to everlasting, you are our God. You're our Elohim. So in the midst of all that's going on, here, here Moses seeing all this stuff, he says, you know what, Lord? You are our comfort. You are eternal. You are unchanging. We don't know anyone like that. We all change. 
As we get older, our bodies change, our minds change, our words change, our actions change. God never changes. He is from everlasting to everlasting. And He is God. Now how about us? Look at verses 3 to 6. This gives a bleak picture of how we really are. It says here in verse 3, you turn man back into what? Dust. Do you know why that happens? That's because of the curse. Do you remember after the curse, he said to Adam, dust you came and dust you will what? Return. But this is a powerful, powerful verse, verse 3, because the language is very strong in the Hebrew. He's saying this, when it's your time, Lord, when you want, you tell man he is going back to dust. In other words, God determines when our last breath on this earth will be. He is in control of that, not us. Not any doctor. I don't care what they say. When God says return to dust, guess what? We return to dust. He says, you turn man back into dust. And you say, return, O children of men. He makes that command. When is it? We don't know. Some think we have forever. We don't. Notice this in, in verse 4. Look at how God's timing is so different than our timing. For a thousand years in your sight are like what? Yesterday when it passes by. You ever thought about history in the last thousand years, the different things of history in the last thousand? You ever think about America in the last 500 years or what, what happened? Do you, ever, do you ever think about, do you ever thank God for, the, for my great uncle Christopher Columbus? Do you ever thank God for him, the Italian? that can, You would not be here today if it wasn't for an Italian who liked pizza. <laughs> now, one amen. A tough crowd, boy, I tell you. 1492, he sailed the ocean blue and came here. But in 500 years, so many different things has happened. But you know what it is? A thousand years is like what? One day before God. Yes. It's not even that. Look at this in verse 4. It's like a watch in the night. You know how long that was? Four hours. A thousand years is like four hours to him. It's nothing. In fact, he, he uses some word pictures here to, to show how transient we are, to how brief life is here on this earth. Verse 5, he says, you've swept away, swept them away like a flood. You can't control the water, the flood. You just, woof, you just go away. You're here and you're gone. They fall asleep. That's, that's the words there for death. They die. In fact, in the morning, how are we? We're like grass, which sprouts anew. God is spoiling us here in Colorado. We are seeing green grass for the first time in a long time. And it's staying green. Don't get used to it. It will be brown before you know it. Or it will be gone before you know it. Katie and I had to put up gates to keep our dogs away from our beautiful grass. Katie said, you know what? I don't want the dogs to go to the bathroom on a patio, so let's move the gates. We moved the gates. Guess what? Our beautiful grass is turning yellow. Thank you, dogs. This beautiful green grass is leaving. It's going away. You know how we are? We're like the beautiful green grass that we see one day and the next day it's gone. And look what it says here. In the next verse here. In verse 6. It says, in the morning it what? It flourishes and sprouts anew. 
And so there is, it's not just that all things are lost here. There's, there's beauty to it. There's, there's things that happen, but it just happens for a moment. I mean, think about all these sports people who come and they're, they're amazing for a moment and then they can't hit or can't do anything. It's full of Yankees right now. You know, they were, they were amazing for a moment. Then the Yankees get them and they can't hit anymore. They can't do anything. They're horrible. That's why we don't want Otani. You can keep him. But you, know, you got all these things here that these people are so good for a moment and then they're nothing. Why? Because we don't last. We're like the grass. That's beautiful for a moment. It flourishes and sprouts anew. And then the evening, what happens? It fades and it withers away. It's gone. I was reminded of this as friends I went to seminary with. Their worst nightmare happened to them. They were at a graveside giving a graveside speech and their seven-year-old son got away from them and, and ran, ran, ran and fell into a tomb and the tombstone fell on him and killed him. Seven years old. Here they were giving a graveside sermon and their own child dies. Seven years old. Worst nightmare for any parent. We come, we're gone. Like the grass that sprouts and the grass is gone. It is quick. Some too quick. And we look at life and we have a hard time thinking about that. And we say, why does that happen? Why does God allow these things to happen? Well, look at verse 7. We are mortal because God is angry. God is angry because we are sinful. Notice this here. It says this, we are consumed by your anger and your wrath. We have been dismayed. He's talking about watching all, all these people around him die. And he's, he's remembering the very wrath of God and how God hates sin. He hates it. In fact, everyone that dies is a reminder that the wages of sin is what? Death. It's a sad reality of life. And so he says, we think about how much you hate sin. And look at verse 8. We think somehow we can hide our sins from God. We, we think that we're smarter than God or, or we're bigger than God. Look at verse 8. You have placed our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. In other words, there's no hiding from God. People like to wipe out their internet searches or change their phones or, or do different things or hide different things. We can't hide from God. We can trick one another. We can come in here with a nice suit and look beautiful and everything's all great. And how you doing? I'm doing fine. I'm reading my Bible and I'm doing all this. And be a total hypocrite outside. God sees it. God sees everything. There's no hiding from Him. Why do we even try to hide? He says our secret sins, quote unquote, are in the light of what? Your presence. He sees everything. And He hates it. He hates sin. He hates it so much he sent his son to die for it. Yes. You have placed our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. Look at verse 9. For all our days are declined in your fury. We have finished our years like a what? Like a sigh. Let me tell you something. That Friday night when I was sleeping with those roaches in that bed and everything, I couldn't wait to get up and get out of there. I got out of there on, 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 on Saturday. We got on another bus with sweating bullets. I said, oh, man, we're going to another barracks. They brought us to a beautiful home with air conditioner. Thank you, God. 
You know how we finish our lives? We finish our lives like I finished that Friday night. I'm glad that's over. A sigh. A sigh. I'm glad this is over. I'm glad the suffering's over. I'm glad all the things that I've been seeing is over. You say, well, I want to live a long life. Well, look at verse 10. How long does it get? How, how long does it really get? As for the days of our life, they contain what? 70 years. That ain't long. Some, for strength reasons, 80. They keep themselves in good shape. I don't think I'll have that problem. They last longer. Some, Chalmer, you blew this verse apart. You're past the 80s, you're on borrowed time. You're in the 90s. Moses, 120. So you're not there yet, Chalmer. Keep going. My friend, Nimit, he sent me a picture this morning of a guy, 116. Can you imagine? 116. He lived to 118. That gives me another 70 years. Amen? You guys are going to do the math. How old is he? 70 years? Or 118. 70 years. Figure it out. I'm only 28. <laughs> but even a long life doesn't mean it's a great life. Look at this here. Somebody says, I want to live long on the earth. Look at verse 10. They live 70 years, maybe 80, but their pride is what? Labor and sorrow. Even our best days are tainted by sin and by pain. Even when we're having a great week, there's things that happen in that week. Anxiety, depression, you name it, we struggle. Even the greatest day, the greatest hour is what? Mingled with pain. He says, 70 years, 80 years. And what can I boast about? I can boast about it being sorrowful and painful. Ask people who have lived long how their lives were. But I love this. Soon it's gone. And guess what we do? We fly away. Isn't that beautiful? Death doesn't swallow us up. Death is not the end. It's just a comma. We fly away. We're released from this dying, decaying body and we're released to be in the presence of God. We fly away. What a wonderful way to describe death. Soon it passes and then what do we do? We fly away. Victory because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then look at verse 11. Who understands the power of your, your anger and your fury according to the fear that is due you? You know what he's saying there? Who really understands how mad God gets when people sin? We get irritated when we see others sin or when we sin. We get mad at ourselves. How can I do something so stupid? Can you imagine how God feels? Let me just say this. If we truly understood how God feels about sin, we wouldn't live in it like we do. Praise God that he sent his son and he's not angry with us because of Jesus Christ. But we still die because the wage of sin is what? Death. Now if I stopped there, we'd all enter into a, a psycho ward and say, Jeremy, that really wasn't a very encouraging sermon. I mean, crying out loud. I mean, you talk about God being our home and everyone dies and we're going to die. Let's say amen and go home. No. I really believe it's at this point of the psalm that Moses gets on his knees. Here's where it gets beautiful. Watching people die left and right. 
Watching his own sister and his own brother. Watching him make the stupidest mistake of his life by hitting the rock. And thinking everything is useless. I really see him in verse 12 and on getting on his knees and begging God to do something that only God can do. And here's my prayer. That we all leave here begging God to do what only God can do. Look at these wonderful things here in this psalm. He says in verse 12, teach us to number what? Not our years. Our days. Now he's not saying get a calendar out and start numbering. How many more days do I have left? He's saying this. We need to carefully plan out what we want to do in this life that will make an impact for God. We don't want to live our lives digging a tunnel that is useless. We want to do something that will make an impact for God. So God, teach me. Please help me to understand how frail I am. Teach me to number them. Teach me to plan it out. Teach me to understand that I am but dust. Teach me to understand that I'm just like the grass that comes and is gone. Help me to understand what will make a true impact for you. Teach me to number. Help me not to live like these people who think they got all the time in the world and then they're gone. Help me to understand how frail I am. What a wonderful prayer. I tell you, I don't know who put the pressure on our daughter, but she went to school and for some reason she's struggling now to try to figure out everything after college, during college and all these things and get all this going on. She's like, Dad, should I go three years? Should I go four years? Should I do this? Should I study this? Should I drop this? My head is like about to go. I'm like, Ellie! One day at a time. Figure out what God wants you to do. Try to figure it out what God wants you to do and plan your days accordingly. But don't bring tomorrow's worries into today's troubles. But ask God to help you to understand how frail you are and plan accordingly because we don't have forever here on this earth. He says, Lord, teach me to number my days. Here's why. I'll gain a heart of wisdom that I may present to you a, a heart of wisdom. I will understand how to live on this earth. I will practically understand how to live and what you want me to do with my life while I'm here. Give me that, that, that heart of wisdom that I understand. And I present it to you. I live a life for you. What a wonderful prayer. Are you, are you bowing down before God before we get into the next thing here that he says and say, Lord, help me to understand how frail I am and help me to, to, to do something on this earth that will make an impact for you. Yes. There's a prayer. Look at the next thing he says. He says, do return, O Lord. How long will it be? How, how long am I going to watch this stuff around me? He says, Lord, be sorry for your servants. In other words, have compassion on us, God. And guess what? God does. I praise God for that because he knows we're but dust and yet he does have compassion on us. Yes. He says, Lord, have compassion on us. Feel sorry for us. And here's what he says in verse 14. Satisfy us in the morning with what? With your loving kindness. Chesed in the Hebrew. God's unfailing love. 
God's love that never ceases. Here's what he says here in verse 14. Satisfy me, not with the things of this world, not with the things that I want. Satisfy me with your love. Help me to understand that every day of my life, when I wake up in the morning, I realize I'm loved by God. Chuck Swindoll used to say to people, when you wake up in the morning, here's what you ought to say. The first thing out of your mouth, God loves me today and that will not change. Yes. Do you know that? Are you satisfied in that? Our hearts go somewhere. Our hearts, somebody asked me, where does your heart go, Jeremy? Right direct to me. Like, oh, that's a good question. I mentioned a few things, some of my sins. God knows them. I can't hide them. We, get, we feel comfortable when we start buying stuff or we're, we get comfortable when we start eating stuff or sleeping or you name it. But is our heart satisfied with His love? He says, satisfy me with your love. Help me to realize how much you love me and that will never change. In fact, look at verse 15. He says, he says make me glad according to the days you've afflicted us. Turn, turn my pain into praise. Help me, help me to praise you in the years that we've seen evil. I want to see that. You know what? God fulfills that. You say, well, I've been suffering for 80 years. I'm not going to live till I'm 160. How does he fulfill that? I'll tell you how he fulfills that. Heaven is not, you cannot compare the suffering of this world to the glory we will have in heaven. This is just a short time. Heaven is forever with Him. Yes. Let me show you a verse. 1 Peter chapter 5. I want to show you this. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 10. This is beautiful. First Peter 5.10 He says this. After you have suffered... For how long? A little while. See that? A little while. Some people say 70 years, 80 years. That's not long compared to eternity. That's just a little while. Look what God says He'll do. The God of all grace who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ will Himself. He'll perfect you, confirm you, strengthen you, and guess what else He'll do? Establish you. That's our God. First is the suffering. Then He establishes us. Going back to Psalm 90, now we get to my favorite part of the psalm. You say, wait a minute, verse 12 wasn't your favorite part? You're all excited about that. That's a good part. I like it. Verse 13, didn't you like that one? Yeah, I like that one. That's pretty good too. Verse 14, that's a sweet one too. That's a really nice one. Uh, verse 15, I like that prayer too. But verse 16 and 17, I love this. Look at this. This is beautiful. He says, <laughs> this is incredible. After we prayed to God to show us how we can live a life that makes an impact, he goes before God and he says, now I want to see your work appear to your servants. I want to see your majesty appear to your children. In other words, God I want to see you shine through what I'm doing. I want you to work. I don't want people to see me. I don't want any of the glory. I, 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 want, I want them to see you doing it. I want my children to see this. I'll never forget when we 
we're, we're building a building and, and we were praying with our kids and praying in a car and it was just a land. There was nothing there and praying for God to provide. Little by little, he did. And Johnny said, I know there's a God. We saw him work here in Argentina and do that work. I, wanted, I want our children to see God. He says, let your work appear to your servants. Let your majesty to their children. Let, let them see how wonderful you are. In, in verse 17, let the, the favor of the Lord, the beauty of God. Only use here is a phrase like that. The beauty of God. Let the beauty of the Lord be upon us. And look what he's asking for God to do. And to confirm for us the work of his hands. Do you know what he's asking God to do? He's saying, God, look, I'm feeble. I'm frail. I'm not even going to be here for long. But take what little I have, and it's very little, and use it to make an impact for eternity. Doesn't matter if you drive a bus, work at a school, preach a sermon, work in the military, or a teacher, whatever it may be, you can pray this prayer, and God can use our feeble things and, and make it last for eternity. Yes. I remember Chuck Swindoll, was pray, he was preaching sermons on this. He was saying, wherever you are, let God use it. Let God work in your life. And some guy came up to him, thank you so much for that sermon, because sometimes you think you have to be a missionary or a pastor for God to use your work. He goes, so what do you do for your, a living? He goes, I'm an ordained plumber. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I'm an ordained plumber. You know, one habit plumbers don't have, right? They don't bite their nails. All right, let's go on uh, later on. That's a bad one. Let the Lord confirm the work of our hands. Yes, let him confirm the work of our hands. Do you remember what Moses prayed to God before they left Egypt? He said, Lord, if you're not going to be with us, don't take us. Don't let us go. We want you to be with us. Yes. We want your glory to shine. You know what he's praying here in this verse? He's saying, Lord, teach me to number my days, to know what a life will make an impact for you, and take my feeble life and my frail life, for I don't know how long I have. I don't know what the next thing's going to be. But Lord, take what I'm doing for you and use it to impact lives for eternity. Can you imagine if a military man, before he went off to work, prayed that, what God would do? Can you imagine if a teacher would pray that before they go into the classroom? Or a missionary before they go to the mission field? Or whoever it may be, asking God to teach us to number our days, teach us to plan accordingly, to make an impact for Him and for God to confirm it. The psalmist says, teach us satisfy us and establish us and i pray that's the prayer of our hearts as well let's pray father as we look around the room and as we lord see that we're here today who knows, a year from now or two years from now, who's going to be in this room? Only you do. So teach us, God, to number our days, to carefully plan out, to think about how frail we are, 
to realize that we're not going to be here on this earth forever. So Lord, we want to make an impact for you. So help us to understand how that is and help us to put it into practice. I think of people like Grandpa Tom who drove a garbage truck and yet the impact that he made on people through his life. Father, I think about the the young man who came up to us later on after he watched us eat donuts and say, I saw something in you guys that I didn't have and I got saved. Lord, help us to number our days. We ask you to satisfy us with your loving kindness. Nothing in this world will ever satisfy us like your love will. We look for for doctors to satisfy us. We look for different things to satisfy us, possessions, whatever it may be, health. Lord, only you can satisfy us. And Lord, so what if we know what to do, but you don't confirm our work? We're asking your hand to be upon what we're doing. Take our feeble lives, our frail lives, and use them for your honor and glory. It may be a grandfather with a grandchild for those few moments saying something that impacts that grandchild for eternity. Whatever it may be, God, we say here we are. Use our lives for your honor and glory. Help us not to waste like this William Burrow Schmidt living for nothing, a useless existence. God, help us to have a life that matters. We pray in Jesus' precious name and for his glory. Amen.